Lord, you bless us with your love, with your strength, with your ability to accomplish things beyond our understanding and wisdom that just awe us because of how you work out your purposes. I just pray that tonight, as Andrew goes further into uh, 1 Samuel, that you will give him the, the words, the wisdom, the understanding to present it in a way that we'll see application for each one of us, that we'll see your desire to work in us and through us to accomplish your purposes. We just thank you for it and for his time and effort that he's put into bringing your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm using your Bible. Okay. <laughs> You're familiar with it. First Samuel chapter 10. We left our, our fearless leader, Samuel. Uh, he anointed our good friend Saul. And he said, Saul, God has anointed you and set you apart as, as the king over Israel. You're going to go and fight the battles of the people of God. That's going to be your job. <clears throat> now, Saul did not initially say, well, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I deserve that role. Saul was like, man, I don't know, dude. Like, I'm not really that big of a guy. Well, he was lying. He was a big of a guy. He was the tallest guy in the nation at the time. He also came from a very rich family, but Saul was kind of hesitant. You know, every hero story, the hero is kind of hesitant at the beginning. That's a good plot device. Now, Samuel anoints Saul and says to him, basically, keep this between me and you. It's not time for you to be revealed to the public. So 1 Samuel chapter 10, we left off at verse 16. His uncle showed up to him and said, hey, what were you doing with Samuel? And Saul told him, well... Um, I was talking to him about the donkeys or whatnot, but he left out the, the, the minor detail about Samuel anointing him the king over the entire nation. He left that out. Okay? So now we're going to pick up in verse 17. Because as we said, at the time when we left off last week, it was not time for Saul to be revealed publicly to the people. But verse 17 is going to catch us up to that moment when it was time for Saul to be revealed publicly to the people of Israel. This one is going to be short, so pay attention. Let's say a lot of things in a very short period of time. Okay, now, let's go. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. Okay? Now this is interesting. God is about to install a new king over the people of Israel. And he does not start it out by saying, here is Saul, this is your awesome king. Why? Because God is saying to them, and he's about to say in a second, I do not agree with you setting this guy up. God, Samuel had already told the people of Israel that it was not a good play. But what God is doing before he installs a human king is he is reminding them that he was the one who saved them from all their previous enemies. There is no king who delivered the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. It's not like somebody rose up and fought Pharaoh and overthrew Pharaoh and then parted the Red Sea. You say, wasn't that Moses? Moses did not fight Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, 
Um, all, the, all the Israelites at the time knew the story. Moses was too scared to even go and confront Pharaoh, much less raise a sword to him and fight him. Moses had a little staff, okay? That was Moses. He had a staff. So the Israelites understood, man, there was no king that delivered you from Egypt, saved you from Egypt. It was God. And then it says all the other kingdoms that were oppressing you. Think about this. In the book of Judges, you had this constant cycle. The Israelites would sin. They would fall under the oppression of the Midianites or the neighboring whoever. And then God would raise somebody up and deliver them. God is saying, I rescued you constantly over and over and over again. But here you are. You are now asking for a king. Well, here's the deal. How does this relate to me and you? Here is what God is trying to explain to the Israelites. And this is something you see all through Israelite history. The deliverance from Egypt, the escape from Pharaoh, the parting of the Red Sea, this was the main salvation event in the Old Testament. The people of God were always looking back at what God did for them in this amazing way because it was completely undeniable the way that God saved them. You know, back in those days, they had all these other gods. You know, they had the God of the Nile. Guess what God did with the Nile? He flooded it with blood. They worshipped the sun. You ever wonder why God uh, sent a plague of darkness over the land of Egypt? What he was saying was, you guys worship the sun, I can black the sun out. Have a great day. I'm more powerful than the sun. So all of these judgments God was doing, all the plagues of Egypt were actually God going to war against the false gods of Egypt, including the death of the firstborn, because Pharaoh was supposedly God on earth. So when God shows up and he takes the life of the child of Pharaoh, what he's saying is, Pharaoh's God on earth, well, he can't stop me from even doing this. And so when God delivered them from Egypt, he had basically lined up all the false gods of Egypt and knocked them all out by himself, and then he delivered the people showing the Israelites, man, Yahweh is the true and living God. So he always pointed them back throughout all of Israelite history to the fact that he delivered them from Egypt. Being delivered from Egypt not only means you got delivered from slavery, it means that your God defeated all the other gods. So if your God defeated the false gods of the nations, how much more the little puny human kings? So you've got a God who's that mighty and that glorious, and what do you do? You turn to the arm of the flesh or the power of other human beings. This is human nature. What we always say every week is that God is not gossiping about these people. He is showing you yourself. What is the major salvation event in the New Testament? Is it deliverance from Egypt? Let me explain something to you. There was an enemy bigger than the gods of Egypt that the Israelites wrestled with that they lost. And that is sin. Because what happened with the Israelites as soon as they got saved from Egypt? What did they do? They created a golden calf and began to worship it. You see, the slavery of Egypt is a terrible thing. But the slavery of sin is even worse. And so they never really truly got freed from being enslaved to sin. As a matter of fact, it was so terrible that the generation that got saved from Egypt, none of them entered the promised land because God basically ended all of them in the wilderness due to their unbelief. So in the New Testament, we have a Savior. We have somebody that defeats our enemies. But the biggest enemy you've ever faced in your life, as we've said before, is yourself. 
and your own sin. This is why we always say you are never going to outgrow the gospel. Because the minute that you do, you end up doing all kind of craziness. Once you forget what you've been delivered from, you create all sorts of problems for yourself. So, before God gives them their king, like they asked for, he reminds them, man, do you guys remember I delivered you from Egypt? Verse 19. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So this is God's last uh, statement to them before he initiates their human kingdom. He says to them, you, in doing this, are rejecting me. Notice it says, all your calamities and your distresses. I was just talking to a young lady uh, before I showed up on site today, and she is in major distress. She's a brand new Christian. She said, why is this happening to me? I said, sweetheart, I don't know why it's happening to you. In other words, I don't know why the specific issue is happening in her specific life at this specific time. I do know that once you come to Christ, you put a bullseye on your back. I do know that. I do know that the reality is we are in a spiritual war. I do know that. And look, the scripture says, man, he saves you from your calamities and your distresses. You know, everybody here in this moment, right now, has calamities and distresses. And some of us, they're worse than others, right? And sometimes what happens with people is they go, oh, yeah, I know this is a distress in my life, but, you know, so-and-so is going through worse, so uh, my issue is not that big of a deal. Stop doing that. Your distress is your distress. God's dealing with that other person too, but we don't need to minimize our situations because other people are going through worse. People are always going through something worse than you. That doesn't mean we're going to minimize the fact that we're currently in distress now. However, at the same time, you cannot focus on your distresses. You've got to focus on the God who delivers you from your distresses. The minute you start focusing on your distress and not the God who delivers you from distress, that's when you start asking for another king. You see that? So when they're in distress, instead of going, you know what? This really sucks, excuse my French, but God delivers from Egypt before. He delivered us from Midian before. Man, he's going to do it again. You start focusing on who God is, you're okay. Not your circumstances, but you are okay. But the minute you start focusing on your distress, ah, bills, ah, marriage, ah, ministry, and you just start looking at that. That's when you start saying, man, we need a human solution to this real quick. So God is reminding them, listen, guys, you guys are now focusing on your calamity. What did Hal just tell us? They just got beaten. You know, uh, who is it? The Philistines beat the snot out of them. So all they're doing is focusing on the fact that they lost a fight. You ever lost a fight? I've been in quite a few. Grew up in the Bronx. Okay? Look, if you fight enough, you're going to lose. This is life. Christian life is a fight. Okay? Listen to me. Regular life is a fight, much less Christian life. Yeah? You will lose some. Newsflash. You're going to lose sometimes. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to that? If you say to yourself, man, we just lost this fight, 
And where was God? You're very, very, very close to finding a human solution to that problem. This is where our good friends, the Israelites, found themselves. Can you not relate to them? I can. Now, let's keep reading. So God says, you know what, guys? Here you go. There's 12 tribes. You guys set yourselves up. I'm going to give you your king. That's what you asked for. We said this a couple weeks ago. Sometimes God will answer your prayers as a form of discipline. You know, uh, Joel Osteen, you know, you know the guy? Listen, I don't know much about Joel Osteen's ministry, okay? So I'm not going to come up here and bash him in public. Here's what I will say. The idea that if you pray and you're good enough and God answers all your prayers, that that is always a good thing is very dangerous theology. Because we have an example here of when God answered somebody's prayer and it was a disaster. When they asked for a king, God gave them what they asked for and it was in judgment actually. The psalm later on looks back at this event and says he gave them a king in his wrath. So, sometimes God will answer your prayers as a form of discipline. Now, some of you are worried, like, oh my goodness. Now, listen. God will make it explicitly clear that the thing that you're asking for is wrong. Is that not true? Samuel came to Israel multiple times and told them, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. So, this was an answer in response to a bunch of rebellion. None of this will come to you as a surprise, okay? So I'm just putting that out there. Yes, sometimes God will answer your prayers a form of discipline, but it's not going to catch you off guard. You will know because God will have warned you 68 different ways. Okay, now, <clears throat> let's keep reading. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Now, a lot at the time was basically you would roll the dice, okay? And whatever the dice rolled on, that's the tribe that you would select, now, this was a game of what? What do you call that? Chance. Yeah? You know, the scripture says, I think it's Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, meaning the dice, but the Lord determines the outcome. Now, Samuel had already seen and anointed Saul. So what's the point of going through this rigmarole? Here's the point. The people of Israel needed to see that the king that they were receiving was coming directly from God. So they needed it to see it themselves. They couldn't just hear it from Samuel. They needed it to see it themselves. So here's the question. When I get up here and I tell you about God, do you go, oh, Andrew said, okay, that's cool. Or do you have your Bible open and you're looking at the pages and you're seeing if God had actually said what I said, God said he said. Say that ten times fast. You know, some of you, some of you are too gullible. You all, Andrew's a good guy. You don't know me, most of you. Some of you know me. You don't know if I'm a good guy or not. Please bring your Bible to church. This way you don't get deceived. They needed to see for themselves that God was choosing Saul as their king. Even though Samuel knew, they still needed to see it. You know, I know what Ephesians 2.10 says. But I still needed to see it. I got my little phone here. Just checking on Hal. I've known Hal for about close to half my life in a couple years. I still check up on it. Okay? This is Christianity. Your leaders are not your king. You got one king, his name is Jesus. You can trust anything Jesus says. You don't have to check out anything Jesus says. Me or anybody else, check them out. But Saul needs to be confirmed in front of the other people, even though Samuel knows exactly who the king is going to be. Now watch this. 
He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot, but when they sought him, he could not be found. So they kept rolling the dice, rolling the dice, and, you know, by coincidence, Saul ends up being the guy, right? But when they finally figured out it was Saul, they said, look, this is the next president of the United States, Saul, son of Kish. They could not find him. That would be, like, real awkward. Like, eventually, we're going to have some ceremony in a couple months. What is it? In November 2017. When, when do we inaugurate the new president? I didn't do well in civics. Okay, so in January, all right, there's going to be a guy on a stage in Washington or Virginia, wherever it is, and they said, this is the president. How awkward would it be? You announce the name, Barack Hussein Obama, he comes out, well, that was last time, or Donald Trump, (laughs) and nobody comes out. Not a good play. That's not good. This is what happened. They said, Donald J. Trump, is it J? Donald J. Trump, nobody showed up, Or, or Bernie. (laughs) <laughs> Bernie and Ber- Bernie Sanders feel the burn the Bernie Sanders Bernie's not there because you know he's like 95 years old he can't alright I'm, I'm, losing, I'm losing track here it's not good now listen they couldn't find him they didn't know where he was where is Saul now this, this, this should make you nervous if you're an Israelite right you're like wait a second God said he wasn't really cool with this decision and then we do the thing and now we announce that the guy's king and he's nowhere to be found now, you would assume that the Israelites are like, wait a second, yo, chill. Maybe we need to repent and change our mind. This is not a good sign. This is a guy that's supposed to fight your battles, okay? Here the Philistines are right next door. You're going to fight, and you're not there. You showed up late for work on the first day. This is not good. But they, they didn't do that. Instead, when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Look what they did. Instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, maybe we did the wrong thing, they said, God, where's the guy? Like, we know that you just told us that you didn't want this and that we just rejected you, but can you please help us find the man that we're using to reject you? (laughs) Some of our prayers to God are us asking God to help us reject him. You realize that? Some of our prayers to God are us asking God for him to help us reject him. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Look at the grace of God. Yeah, I'll help you reject me. He's in the baggage. Now, none of the Israelites see the irony here. Here's the mighty God of Israel who just delivered you from all these Egyptians. And there's your king hiding in the baggage. Who is more likely to save you from your enemies? And here's the thing. The very fact that they went to God means that they understood that God has omniscience so that he knows everything. So you go, okay, we know that you know everything, so where is the guy that we want to lead us? Well, if he knows everything, maybe he knows how to defeat your enemies. Did that even cross your mind? But there he is hiding among the bags. This is very, very interesting to me. 
This is a man who already was told by the prophet in his land that he was the anointed king of Israel. He was already told that. He was already told that he was going to rule. What's up, Benjamin? He was already told that he was going to rule. So why is he hiding among the baggage? You know what this is called? This is a very, very technical term in theology. It's called running from your calling is what it's called. And why Peg's smiling at me? You know why Peg's smiling at me? Because for millions of years, Hal and Peg, they used to sit me down. They used to say, listen, Andrew, okay, God has something planned for you. He got something planned for you. You're going to teach people the Bible. And I'd say, no, man. I'm just... They'd say, no, I'm serious. You really need to teach the Bible. You need to teach this Bible study, man. And the first time I did a Bible study, Hal forced me into it. He said, look, I got something to do at work. So next Tuesday, uh, Andrew's doing the Bible study. That was my first Bible study. I was 22 years old teaching a bunch of men. Okay? They were like in their 40s and 50s and stuff. Okay? Running from your calling. This happens all the time. You know, I mean, think about it. When we're at Planned Parenthood, what are those ladies doing? Let me explain something to you, ladies. If you get a positive report on your pregnancy test, guess what? God has now called you into the wonderful life of motherdom. Now that is a very, very, very scary calling, is it not, Stephanie? And Pete, we, you know, the instinct is to run. So what are these girls doing at Planned Parenthood? Man, they are running from their calling. Think about that. People are dying because these young ladies are running from their calling. And look, I'm not demonizing these girls. It's a scary prospect, especially if you're with some irresponsible dude who's telling her, I'm not going to support you. Which conversely, guess what, brothers? If your girl comes back with a positive pregnancy test, guess what that means? God has now called you to be a father. Please be a man and father your children, please. Do not walk your girlfriend into an abortion clinic to kill your child. Now look, I'm not here to condemn anybody. But I want us to feel the seriousness of this, man. We are running from our calling. Some of you, I was talking to somebody yesterday. We were talking about a dream or whatever. And I, I told I said, be ready, man. Do not run from your calling. This happens all the time. Some of you, God has some crazy, scary thing that he wants you to do, and you're afraid. Now you can look at this, you know what we do with our fear? We mask our fear with spirituality. We say, man, I'm just too humble. I'm just so humble. That's what I used to do. Oh man, I can't do that. Now anybody that knows me knows that I do not struggle with humility, okay? But I, oh man, I just can't do that. And from the outside, you say, man, that's a real humble kid. He's saying he can't teach men. That wasn't humility, it was just fear. Some of us mask our fear with humility. So you're saying you're going to deny the call of God on your life because you are afraid. Which really means what you're saying about God is, hey God, I know you called me to this, but you were wrong. I know more about my capabilities than you. Which is a form of what? Pride, isn't it? So on the one hand, it looks really, really humble, but on the other hand, it's really a form of pride. Or you're saying, God, you don't have the power to empower me to do what I need to do. 
which in his word he said he does have the power to empower you, which is still a form of what? Pride. Because now you're saying you know more about God's power than God. No, running from your calling has very, very little, if anything, to do with humility and a lot to do with fear and pride. Many times we run from our calling because we don't think we can accomplish it. You know, I mean, just me personally, look, since I was a little child, literally as far back as I can remember, both my mother and my father drilled it into my head. Dude, you, God has a special call in your life, man. You're going to do amazing things for God. From literally, I cannot remember a time when I didn't hear that from both of my parents. Okay? I had this crazy story when I was a baby. I was sick. They brought me to the church, passed a prayer over me. The next day I went to the hospital. I had no complications. Okay? That's a short version of the whatever. So ever since then, you're like, man, this is a miracle kid. God's going to do something with him. And I had this, right? But here's the thing. I developed this horrible fear of public speaking. Okay, I failed my, I think it was a junior year in high school, because one of my electives was uh, speech and debate. Why did you take a speech and debate class if you were scared of public speaking? Well, I like to argue. But the thing is, is that I forgot that you had to go out and speak publicly. So the guy said, all right, you're going to have an assignment to go speak publicly. I said, oh, yeah? I never went to the class again. It was a five-minute thing. So when, when Peg and Hal were coming to me and telling me, man, you're gifted, you're going you're gonna to teach the people of God, man, I was like, oh, no. And I threw up all these spiritual reasons. The reality of it came down to, I didn't want to stand up in front of a bunch of people. Fear. I didn't think I was going to be able to accomplish what God was calling me to. And look, I have a nervous breakdown every time I have to come up here every Friday, okay? It doesn't look like it, but I do. But man, every single time, literally, God has opened my mouth and filled my mind with things to say from the Scripture. So I'm living testimony, man. Just walk in the calling that God has given you. Some of you are running from your calling because you think it's too small. Y'all, okay, well, that's significant. That's important. But my calling is not important at all. Like when I said being a mother is a big calling, you rolled your eyes. Sure, Andrew. Let me explain something to you. Augustine, many of you don't know who Augustine is, but you are the beneficiaries of much of his theology. Augustine was a great Christian leader in the 4th century. He had a mother named Monica. Now Augustine wrote amazing things, um, especially in cell 53. We are heavily influenced by Augustine. Heavily. You have no idea how heavily we're influenced by Augustine. Okay? There would be no cell 53 without Augustine. Let me put it that way. Augustine and how? There you go. Now listen to me very closely. Augustine lived a horrible, lecherous life. The dude was a, was a, what do you call a playboy, just running around the city with this girl and that girl. He was a very good-looking guy. Monica, his mother, was a Christian. She'd sit there and she'd pray, like, Jesus, please save Augustine. Please save Augustine. She'd cry herself to sleep. Please save Augustine. And she would preach to Augustine, Augustine, don't you want to believe in Jesus? He'd say, no, I don't want to believe in Jesus. I want to run around with these girls. And she'd say, please, Augustine, listen to me. He wouldn't listen. And this mom prayed and prayed her eyes out. One day, Augustine is out there in the garden, and he hears this voice, tole lege, in Latin, which means take it up and read. And there was nobody around, but he kept hearing this voice, tole lege, take up and read. So he took up the first thing he could read, and guess what that was? A Bible. And Augustine got saved, and he became the most awesome Christian of all time, in my opinion. His mother. Think about 
all that this man did for the Christian church, I don't have the time to go into it, but he did a lot, okay? From the one single solitary praying mother. Augustine credited pretty much everything that he did for Christianity to his mom. And she lived an example in front of him, and she prayed her heart out for him. Same thing with the Wesley brothers. John Wesley, you've heard of the Wesley brothers, some of you. Very, very influential in the revivals a couple hundred years ago. Again, praying mother. What do you got, Ben? I was wondering if I could say something. Go ahead. Should be interesting. Well, I, um, I remember a church service that I went to a few months ago where Andrew was standing up and he was telling us that uh, when you have, you should give. You should never give to somebody and expect them to pay you back. You should always give and expect to just give and not respect anything, re, re, uh, expect anything in return. So um, I actually ran into quite a bit of money one way or another, and uh, that really hit home for me because it was kind of a calling for me to give to the community and help my friends and family rather than just keep it all for myself and be greedy. So what I did was I bought one of my friends a pair of shoes. I paid about $400 to help with my friend's group where he was back in. I, uh, I bought a lot of clothing for my friends. We went out to the main mall and helped with clothing so that they weren't broke because my friend was in a fire and lost all his belongings. So I helped him with that. And uh, I just wanted to say that was kind of my calling from the Lord to give rather than to be greedy. He wanted me to help people. And uh, actually, just yesterday, I helped a friend with $200 in back rent. So I just wanted to say thank you, Andrew, for helping me see the light and come to that calling of the Lord. Well, thank God. But before you sit down, that's another aspect of calling, right? Sometimes, you know, I got this big major calling. I got to preach and lead and all this. But there are little things in your life, little moments in your life that you can miss if you're not listening for the voice of the Lord, right? Now, I was a channel. It wasn't me. It was God that was speaking to you. But God was saying, yo, Ben, man, you got some money. You need to, you need to give. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just wanted to say your word resonated with me. Like that. Appreciate you. Yeah. Okay, so this is it, man. Calling. It can happen in multiple different ways. It can happen in a sermon. It can happen with a, a guy that stays with you uh, and meets with you every Monday at Burger King for years and years and years. It happens, but the, here's the issue. Are you going to listen to the voice of God and obey it, or are you going to hide in the baggage? Everybody's got different ways of hiding in the baggage, and we all have our excuses and ways that we can hide in the baggage. And God's call to us is, man, get out of there. We got work to do. Now listen, as Saul is hiding in this baggage and the people are looking for him, the Philistines are out there sharpening their swords to go attack the Israelites again, yeah? Man, we got an entire city out here. And yes, it's good. We've got great stories. You know, we've got stories of people drug addicted and all this, and man, they're getting saved and all this. But we got a lot of work to do. Man, we got another church plant in here somewhere. Talking to the guys yesterday, man. Like the point is, Cell 53 is just the beginning. We're talking about expanding, creating new churches in this downtown area. So two years from now, I want there to be another cell over there, 60 people worshiping Jesus. They have nothing to do with us because they're out there doing the thing, right? Well, we're not going to create that type of environment if we're all hiding in the baggage. So there's too many things at stake for us to just hide out. So there's Saul, he's hiding in the baggage. 
Verse 23, then they ran and took him from there. They took their king. Uh, they, don't, they don't see the irony here. This is amazing. They took the guy that was supposed to rule them and forced him to rule them. Tabby's shaking her head like, what's wrong with these people? Should have had Tabby back there. I would have solved the problem. She solves a lot of problems to me. She's like, that's just dumb, Andrew. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> so they took their king. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! So here's Samuel, 100% behind Saul. Even though Saul was chosen to replace him, Samuel has absolutely zero ego. All Saul cares about is, well... I disagree with it. God disagrees with it. But you know what? This is the guy. So I'm going to throw in with this guy. And what does Samuel point to? He says, hey, there's nobody like him. I understand that he's a coward. He's hiding and stuff like that. But he's very tall. <laughs> this is the best that they had. Now, honestly, I'm kind of confused. I'm like, Samuel, what? I mean, say the guy's nice or say that, you know, he's... No, he's very tall. This is what we have. This is your king. But you know what? That's all Samuel had to work with. Okay? That's all he had to work with. Because these guys, look, they went from God to Saul. Okay? You know, this is what Hal was talking about. Like, you know, you have the spirit of God inside of you. And you want some religious leader to be your king. You have the Holy Spirit. So anybody that you choose in place of the Holy Spirit is going to be a downgrade. Anybody, anything good that you've ever seen in me just came from the Holy Spirit, by the way. And anything good you've ever seen in some religious leader just came from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Hal taught us? Without the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm nothing. All you have to say, you can't even say I'm tall. I'm 5'7", okay? I have to stand on the little stoop thing when I'm at Planned Parenthood. I'm a very small man. All right, now, he said, long live the king, right? Long live the king. Okay, this is the king you had to find because he's hiding and all this all right then samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the lord then samuel sent all the people away each one to his home so he's like all right look i'm gonna make the best out of a horrible situation you guys want a king this is a horrible thing let me at least write some rights and duties now in the law of moses there are a couple things that god said because god says i know you're going to set a king among you even though I don't want you to. And he actually set some laws. One of the laws was he can't accumulate a bunch of horses, he can't accumulate a bunch of women, and various other laws. So basically, the idea is Samuel took those laws and condensed them and said, okay, this is what you have to do to be the king. There are rules to rule. Now, brothers, in your household, there are rules in your ruling. You know, the scripture says that the man is the head of the household. We believe that 100%. In cell 53, man of the head of the house. But there are rules, there are statutes that you need to follow. One of them is love your wife like Christ loved the church. Isn't that one of them? Yes. First Peter tells you to live with your wife in an understanding way. And later there's a little threat so that your prayers won't be hindered. Meaning, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, God is not going to listen to you. So basically, if you don't listen to your girl, God's not going to listen to you. It's very, very simple. So there are rules and statutes. So when God puts leaders among his people, he doesn't just give them free reign to do whatever they want to do. There are parameters that you can operate in, and there are parameters that are outside of your jurisdiction. 
So, so Samuel makes the best of a bad situation. He gets along and says, there it is, man. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Now, here's what happened. Think about this. Men of valor, that, those are Saul's special forces guys, okay? Now, look at this. This is amazing. Saul was not supposed to be the king. God was supposed to be the king. The people asked for Saul in their rebellion. And what God does is, God says, man, Saul is fearful, he's weak. What I'm going to do is I'm going to move in the hearts of these men of valor, these strong men, and I'm going to surround Saul with strong men who can give him some courage. Man, that's a gracious, gracious thing for God to do. Dude, you weren't even supposed to be there. But God sets you up there, and then he sets you up with men of valor, and God has made them loyal to Saul because Saul is going to need help. You realize this. This is one of the reasons we have multiple elders at Cell 53. I was in an elder meeting yesterday, and I was like, ah, and then Kyle said, well, maybe we should blah, 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 right? At the end of the meeting, I was like, okay, well, that's why we have multiple elders, okay? Because I'm crazy. And we need multiple people. You need multiple elders. You need strong men of valor around you. Because you, whatever the t you are right to be afraid of your calling because it's a heavy thing, man. So you got, what do you got? You got the Holy Spirit, and then you've got men and women of valor who God's going to put you around you. And this is the reason we go to church. We do not go to church because we were trying to check off a, a, a rule book or a list or whatever. What I'm saying is, if we're at war, we cannot fight by ourselves. I don't care how awesome in Christianity you think you are. You need people around you. I need people around me. And man, Christian men and Christian women are men and women of valor. Yes. My favorite people in the world go to this church. Because I have seen the valor, man. I have been out there, Planned Parenthood, people yelling and screaming at the ladies, and the ladies have absolutely zero fear. If they do, they don't show it. Were you afraid? When? Today? No. No. Okay. See? That's a woman of valor, man. She is not afraid. Why? Because the Spirit of God. Same thing with my brothers, man. We've been out in some really crazy situations. And they go through it. And I admire them. I love them for that. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, what he's called us to is insanely difficult. He has called us to walk in some terrible situations. One of my best friends in the world is going to court. The whole state is suing this guy. Didn't name him. Everybody knows. But that's a man of valor. Because this is a dude who stood up for the rights of little children who didn't have a voice. That's a man of valor. You see. So the church of Jesus Christ, man, we are broken Sinful people, absolutely, but because of the Spirit of God, we become men and women of valor. This is what we're calling you to when we're calling you to the church. We are calling to you to walk in your calling, and we're calling you to be surrounded by men and women of valor, and we're also calling you to become a woman and a man of valor. This is Christianity. Why? Because the most valiant, brave Man of all time, Jesus Christ, came down here and he fought the great war against sin, didn't he? Every single day Jesus fought against sin. And then he went to the cross and he died like all good soldiers do. You know, every good soldier wants a good death. And there's Jesus. He died the best death of all because he died for everybody else. 
You know, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have a power to lay it down, a power to bring it up again. Amen. So he died the best death possible. And then he rose from the dead. Yeah, Ben, yeah. Right, that's a warrior. He died a warrior's death. And then he turns to us, he says, now go make disciples of all nations. So he sends us out to war in his bravery. This is Christianity. Now, verse 27 though. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. They brought him no present. You know, the king, you know, you're supposed, hey, king, here's some grapes or whatever they did. Now, now, this is interesting. They said, how can this man save us? Now, to be honest with you, I'd love to say, if I was there, I'd have been one of those men of valor. Me, honestly, I'm a logical guy. I'd have been like, how can this man save us? We just dragged him out of the, uh, the baggage. You know, the KJV calls it the stuff. We just dragged this guy out of the stuff. How's he going to save us from the Philistines? Good night. I don't care how tall he is. This is what they were saying. But here's the deal. Instead of saying, how can this man save us? We need to turn to Yahweh. All it says is, how can this man save us? And they despised him. So when you're in a situation where you're looking at your leadership and that man, listen, whoever gets the nomination for president of the United States, okay, this is a line that many of us in this room are going to say, how can this man or this woman save us? And then we're going to despise them. Yeah, I see Facebook. We're already despising who we think is going to be the president. Okay? But look how they're described. They're described as worthless. Why? Here's why. Because God was the one that put Saul in that position. So if, if uh, with Donald Trump or Bernie, or Hillary, whoever gets the nomination, and they get put in that Oval Office, it is because God put them in that position. Don't you be a worthless American and despise them. You say, how can this man save us? The answer is he can't. Only God can save you. But God put that guy or that young lady in office, so it is what it is. Let's not be worthless. This is a little warning for you because many of you, everybody in here at some level is going to be disappointed in January 2017. They didn't bring him any presents. You know, you need to bring the president some presents. You know, the presents that you need to give the president is a prayer. You know, we probably, you know, sell, we should do some prayer thing on the day of the inauguration. Okay? Seriously, we need to commit to giving some presents to whoever gets the, uh, the nomination. And that is prayer. Prayer for your leaders. You know, some of you might be mad at me. Well, if you're mad at me, you say, how does this man lead us? Well, I can't lead you. Pray for me. You're mad at your husband? Pray for your husband. You're mad at your mom and your dad? Pray for them. Pray for your leaders. Because what this, this passage is telling you is only worthless people stop at saying, how can this man save us? Only worthless people sit there and despise their leaders. That's what it says. Ooh. So we got to pray for them. Pray for mom and dad. Pray for your elders. Pray for your president. Pray for your boss at work. Because all of them were put there by the hand of a sovereign God. Now watch this. They didn't bring him any presents, but he held his peace. He didn't say anything. You know, many of us are not like that. You don't get the respect that you deserve from your kids. You go crazy on them. Now listen, your kids should respect you. Okay? 
But make sure when you're disciplining them, you're discipling them. Make sure they're not getting disciplined because they dare to disrespect you. You're going to go off on them because they don't respect you. You're going to make sure that your wife respects you because you are worthy of respect. Saul held his peace. Why? Because Saul realized, well, God was the one that put me in here. I don't really need any validation from these people. If God is the one that anointed you and put you in front of the entire nation and said, you're the king and some people are grumbling about you, why do you need to justify yourself? Now look, here's a spoiler. Saul loses his way very quickly, okay? But here, he had the right attitude. Brothers, sisters, mothers, do you have that type of attitude? Where you're so secure in who God has told you that you are that you don't need to justify yourself to anybody. Not arrogantly, but confidently. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. You know, the word confidence, here we go, it means with faith. That's what confidence means, confide, with faith. And the question is, when I'm saying I'm confident in who God made me to be, I'm saying I'm confident in God. I don't have faith in myself, I got faith in God. So the people grumbling about you, don't worry about it, man. Okay? Because there's one of two things that's true if people are grumbling about you. Either it's true or it's false. Well, if they're grumbling about you and it's true, repent. Huh? If you're, if, you're, if you're a bad uh, boss or you're a bad dad, repent. Stop being a bad dad. If it's false, God knows that you're not that. You can't lose either way. You know, if it's true, you repent and you realize, man, there's a cross for my shortcomings. If it's not true, you say, oh, well, God will reveal it to them in time and I will live as an example in front of other people so that they will know by my actions that I don't need to defend myself. Okay, now, some of you, I feel in my spirit, God is, is calling you to stuff. In your heart, you need to submit to that calling and stop hiding in the baggage. It is not humility. It's just fear. There's no fear here. We're valiant men and women of God. All right, stand up. We're going to pray because we're valiant. We're going to sit down. We're going to pray. We're going to stand up. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how and everything he's done in my life, God. Thank you for putting him in my life and, and helping him to drag me out of my baggage. God, help us to drag each other out of the baggage. God, help us to be valiant men and women of God who fear no one but you, who love everyone. God, help us not to be worthless Americans, God. God, the temptation is so strong right now in our nation because we're probably under your judgment. Um, but help us to submit willingly to it. Thank you for Ben for listening to your voice and help us to follow his example. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, I got a text during services from Megan.
Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God for the Sake of the City. For more resources, visit cell53.com.